half of me was like, I want to make them proud and I want to live up to their vision of success. But the other half of me is, you know, my parents also brought up this family in the United States because they wanted us to also live fulfilled and happy lives. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable young professionals of color killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Weninger, proud Texas Latina, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we dive into a special guest story and hear all about their challenges, milestones, and lessons learned. If you're a young professional of color and you're feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey, have you ever thought about leaving your private sector, high paying, stable career to pursue a more fulfilling and meaningful path in the nonprofit or public sector? Well, that's exactly what we dive into this week when we hear Lily True's story. Lily left a nine year private sector career in the consumer and product goods space to pivot into education and public affairs through the MBA. Today, she's the Texas Director of Public Affairs at Teach for America and has finally found what she's looking for in her career path. On this episode, she talks candidly about how she made the switch as the child of immigrants from Vietnam, how she used the MBA to make this jump, and what she gave up but also gained in the process. Hey everyone, I am so excited to have Lily True on today's episode. Welcome, Lily. Hi, Priscilla. Thanks for having me. Of course. So today we're going to dive into Lily's story of how she pivoted from a career in the private sector into the nonprofit world and what it was like doing this as a child of immigrants. So why don't we start with Lily, share a little bit about where you're from and how you grew up. Sure. Yeah. I'd be remiss to not start off by saying I'm a Houstonian. I grew up in Houston, in Southwest Houston, super diverse community. And I think that community is a large part of um, what formed my values and my belief systems. I'm a first generation Asian American. My parents are actually refugees from Vietnam. So my parents um, came to the US in the early 80s. They were that last batch of boat people who came over from Vietnam. So, So they literally arrived by boat. It took them, took my mom, like 13 months to get to the US. And so they settled in Chicago. And I was actually born in Chicago. But like they always say, they they moved to Texas as quickly as they could. And so I spent um, basically all of my childhood education in Houston and really grew up in that environment. I then went to UT Austin uh, for my undergrad and was a, a double major kind of by accident. I ended up graduating with a marketing degree and a degree in Asian studies loved Austin, but after graduating, moved on and started a career in the private sector that allowed for me to move several times across the country. So that's the gist of my background and the places that I've been. But at the end of the day, I really think that my parents' experience and my identity as the child of immigrants really informs kind of the way I approach life. Yeah. And what do you think made you gravitate towards applying to the business school and heading in that direction? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Because my parents were refugees, when they came to the US, they did not speak very much English, like really none at all. So they were not very well educated because they grew up in Vietnam during the war. They 
both had less than a middle school education. So when they came to the U.S., they didn't really have a lot of career opportunities, and they decided to go into the convenience store business because they knew people who did that work. So they thought, okay, we'll go, we'll learn the trade, we'll save up our money and hopefully become small business owners, which they were able to luckily do. So I grew up in the convenience store business. Mm -hmm. And as a kid growing up, I was like, oh, I hate business. Like, I hate doing this because I had to work there, right? Like on the weekends and summers and like every break. And as a kid, I was like, I hate this. I don't want to do it. So ironically, in high school, when I was trying to pick a major and I knew I was going to go to UT, I kept gravitating towards the business school and I kept gravitating towards the marketing degree, even though my entire childhood, I said I didn't want to do it. So it really just, I think, was really based on the environment I knew, right? I think as a first generation Asian American, as the first person in my family to go to college, you gravitate towards what you know. And what I knew was the convenience store business. I knew brands, I knew product, I knew like the basic yeah. interactions of business. And so I decided to go in the business, right? So it, it wasn't like a deep passion or anything. It was just something that felt natural in the moment. I chose to be a marketing major really by chance. So I, I didn't have a clear direction. I actually remember my first semester of freshman year, going to an info session that Procter & Gamble hosted for undergrads. And I remember sitting in the room, like not knowing who this company was or like what was going on. And they put up on the projector, this slide with all of their brands and logos. And I remember being 18 and thinking, holy crap, like they own all of these brands. And then their next slide was like, it was like a map of, of the world. And it showed where all of their global offices were across the country. And I just remember being 18 and thinking that's amazing that like one company owns all these brands and that this one company is in all these places in the world. It felt like world domination to my simple 18 year old mind. <laughs> and so freshman year, first semester, that's when I decided I'm going to go into the consumer goods industry. This is super cool. So that's what I went after. Yeah, it's really funny how sometimes these life altering career decisions are made at such a young age and often off of a whim. And it sounds like that's sort of what happened to you. But yeah, so what was your first job out of college? And what was it like adjusting to that? Oh, gosh, it was horrible for so many reasons. <laughs> so I joined Kimberly Clark, I graduated in 2008, which means I joined Kimberly Clark right at the start of economic recession. So on the one hand, I was really grateful to have a job. And it was a great job, but it forced me to have to move to Wisconsin. And like I said, I was born in Chicago. I grew up in Houston. My parents are from Southeast Asia. I had never been in an environment like Wisconsin before. And so like the culture shock, right? That was yeah. real. Like I grew up in this like super diverse part of Houston, super diverse campus. And then I get to Kimberly Clark in Wisconsin and I was one of three people of color in my department. Wow. And that was hard. It was cold. The job was in supply chain. And as you recalled, I said my major was marketing. And so I knew nothing about this like first job in supply chain. And it was just a tough time. And like the first year they did layoffs. And, and luckily I, I wasn't affected, but it was tough. But I will say it was a fantastic experience in the sense that it really pushed me out of my, com my comfort zone. And as a young person, you learn how to move away from everyone and build your own life. I learned a whole new like trade, basically, I had to learn all about supply chain really quickly. And you just become really resilient through that experience. And not to mention, honestly, everyone at the company is so kind. And, and I'm still such good friends with so many of those coworkers. Yeah. So at what point did you start to consider switching over to the nonprofit industry? At what point did that happen for you? 
Yeah, it came out of nowhere. The last couple of years, I was at Kimberly Clark. Like by then, I'd been there six, seven years, and I knew everyone. I was really comfortable. My boss actually asked me, "Hey, it's, it's time for us to start thinking about your next role. What do you want to do next?" And they, they were great that way, and that they always push you to grow and to move into to kind of new challenges. But I remember sitting there and thinking, "Okay, if I could have any job in this company, what would it be? Right? Like any company, like any position, like CEO all the way down to like mailroom." Like, what would I want to do? And I literally could not think of a single thing I wanted to do. So I took that as that's a bad sign, right? Like at the time I was like still in my 20s, I think maybe like almost 30. And I was like, this is not good. If I'm already not motivated and I don't have anything to aspire to in this company, it's probably time to make a change. And so what I really did is I really just started volunteering a lot in my community. I was back in Houston by then. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm just going to try a lot of things. And I just started volunteering with all kinds of nonprofits to figure out what are the things that I genuinely enjoy. And I think by default of volunteering with nonprofits, I started to think, hey, like stuff over here is pretty cool. And I actually do have a deep passion for a social impact um, and mission-driven organizations. And so that just started to make sense for me. Yeah, I can imagine just how scary that must have felt to be deep into your corporate career, having all that stability, your parents are proud of you, suddenly looking at completely changing courses. Oh, it was terrifying. It was terrifying because A, I didn't know anything about the nonprofit sector. Like my assumption was that everyone in the nonprofit sector was broke. That nobody <laughs> made any money. The second thing was I was like, oh my gosh, if this is really what I want to do, like where do I even begin? I'd had this career like slinging consumer products to major retailers. Like how do you even yeah. transfer that experience into something in the nonprofit sector? And in the beginning, it really felt like a far-fetched goal to make that kind mm-hmm. of a switch. And, and I really didn't know what that would look like. Totally. And I'm assuming a lot of your friends were in the private sector, right? My friends were in private sector. And I think that's one of the things about my network and and, and my group of, of friends and my tribe is the vast majority of us are children of immigrants, and, and we're mostly first, second generation. And so we've all live this pressure of there's a very unique definition of success. You need to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or an engineer. Like nonprofit doesn't make that list. So because of that, like my circle of friends, like very few of them did this kind of work. And so again, I had to like just go and knock on doors of people I would meet when I was volunteering to be like, hey, what do you think of this? What do you know? Can you help me? So it's just a lot of asking for help. And did you get a lot of pushback from your parents when you told them that you wanted to make this switch? I don't think I even told them initially. I think initially I was just like, I don't like what I do. I want to make a change. And I think the first thing I actually told them was, I think I'm going back to grad school. I, I did not lead the conversation with, I, I want to quit my job to go <laughs> do nonprofit work. Because by then I was making like, honestly, a really comfortable six-figure salary. I was getting yeah. like a nice bonus every year. I had a company car. Like my parents thought I was living the dream and I was living their dream. So the idea of letting all that go and giving up this life I'd built this life that they had dreamt for me when they came to the United States, I just knew I couldn't go to them with that until I had a firm idea of what that would look like. Because I think that would have been terrifying for them. I think half of me was like, I want to make them proud and I want to live up to their vision of success. But the other half of me is my parents also came here and brought up this family in the United States because they wanted us to also live fulfilled and happy lives. And so it, that's just a delicate balance. And so for, for me, it was like, okay, like I'm 29, 30 years old. Like I can do this for another 30, 40 years, but I'll probably be miserable. So how do I make a change 
that won't feel so traumatic for them, but that will really bring me a more fulfilling and just a more rewarding career. So this life decision brought you to business school, which is where you and I crossed paths. Tell us about how that MBA helped you make the transition. Yeah, business school was pivotal. I think being a full-time MBA, you really get to spend two years just focusing on yourself, right? And you get to determine how to use every second of your time. Because before I was volunteering, but I still had a nine to five. I had to work 40, 50, 60 Mm -hmm. hours a week still. So this whole like finding myself process, you really couldn't do except for the weekends and evenings. Business school allows you to really dig deep. I think the other thing about business school is it's also just exposure to the people that you're around. And so I got to meet obviously folks like you who bring a lot of experience and a lot of experience that I don't have. And that gives me perspective that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. It also gives you an excuse to, again, you'll, I guess you'll hear this theme a lot to knock on people's door and be like, help me. I'm a student, right? Answer my questions. Yeah. So I think all of those were things that really just made business school a good opportunity to just figure out what did I want to do? Yeah. And in the end, you decided to transition into education specifically. So how did you use your time and your degree to transition into education? Honestly, that was the hardest part. So (laughs) when you're a student, people are willing to bring you on to do projects for them because it's short term, right? And you're probably not getting paid very much in, in this industry, like if you're getting paid at all. And so In the two years of business school, a lot of people said yes to me because I was a graduate student from like a top tier school. And so everyone was like, yeah, come do this project, do this work. But when it was time to graduate and to find a full-time job, it was difficult because A, I'm still new, right? Like I have two years of experience, but two years of like part-time experience. So I'm still not really like a professional in the space. I'm still pretty new and green. The second thing is I knew a lot more than when I did when I started. But when I graduated, there was still so much I didn't know. So people would ask me, well, what is it exactly you want to do in education? And it's sometimes hard to like be able to verbalize this is exactly what I want to do because you don't know what you don't know. And so I would give really general answers. Oh, I just want to do something at the intersection of policy and strategy. And people were like, that doesn't mean anything. Like, what do you actually want to do? (laughs) So it was hard. And then, you know, the last thing is you're competing against a lot of people in the space that have other degrees. Like I was literally interviewing with candidates who have PhDs in education policy. And here I'm like, yeah, I worked at Kitty C for three months. Yeah, she has a whole she has a whole dissertation on that topic, but I have three months of experience. So that was hard. So it was really a struggle. And there were definitely moments where I was like, oh my gosh, I might not be able to find a job in education after all of this work. And now a quick message from our sponsor. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a moment to give a big shout out to our sponsor, The Art of Applying. The Art of Applying specializes in helping graduate school applicants get into their dream schools with money to pay for it, especially applicants who might be first-generation professionals, grew up in low-income environments, are making big career changes, or may be passionate, but have less than ideal grades or test scores. What makes them different from other admissions consultancies is their application accelerator program. That supports you with as many applications as you want, assists you in considering applying to and negotiating for scholarship aid, and gives you access to teaching modules, a big team of expert consultants, and a network of past applicants they've worked with over the past 10 years after starting at Harvard. They've helped thousands of clients earn more than $20 million in merit scholarships and fellowships since their founding. As a sponsor of the Early Career Moves podcast, they've invited listeners to explore working with their team 
by going to theartofapplying.com slash ECM and signing up for a quick call. If you mention the Early Career Moves podcast, you get $100 off enrolling in their hourly coaching or application accelerator program. If you're dreaming of going to a top school without paying top dollar, go to theartofapplying.com slash ECM. Yeah, which is really scary after such a significant investment. So you and I are very much the opposite. Like I went into business school from education nonprofit, transitioned into private sector. You were doing the opposite of that. When you were interviewing for jobs, do you feel like your corporate background really helped you in your interviews? I personally always felt like private sector folks were very much highly valued within education. It definitely helped. It helped in that In every interview, I was probably always the most prepared candidate. I was always the most data-driven candidate. I was always the one that thought about things and like frameworks and in terms of like strategic mindset. So I think employers always really love that. The thing is that the thing was though, that at the end of the day, I was always lacking that like in-depth experience. Having all of those great business skills is still hard to compensate when you're interviewing against someone who's been a teacher or a teacher coach for 10 years, right? Like they're just going to more intimately understand the problems and the struggles that we have in the system better than I will. And and so for me, it was like, you literally have to find someone who not only values your private sector skills, because I totally agree with you, people really do value those private sector skills, and those skills will really take you a long way. But you also need someone who's willing to take a chance on you. And my experience has been in order to get that, like you have to show folks that you are so willing to learn, and you're so willing to work your way up. Because because while folks really value private sector skills, they also worry like, are you going to be someone who's willing to learn the system from the bottom up, right? Are you just going to come over and expect this well-paid, cushy job? Because that's where you came from because, sweetheart, that's not how we do it in the nonprofit sector. Like, we all work really hard. We all work really long hours. We all have to earn our keep. And so that was always the challenge, right? Like, trying to find someone who would take a chance on me knowing that I don't bring five, 10 years of education experience. So where did you land after your MBA? Yeah. So I graduated in May of 2019 and I was looking for jobs for the first couple of months. And actually one of my coworkers from my internship at KIPP DC connected me with one of his close contacts at Teach for America. And so they brought me on board in August of 2019. So I've been there a little over a year now. I am the director of public affairs for the state of Texas at Teach for America. So primarily what that means is I steward all forms of public funding. So any dollars that we get that comes from um, the state state or local government. So it's a little bit of lobbying. It's a little bit of like relationship management. That's where I still use some of like my sales expertise. And then I also do some work involving AmeriCorps and like state programs that bring in dollars into our program. That's super cool and very impactful, very much at the intersection of all of those different things that you were looking for. So congrats. Um, So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk finances, talk money. I think one of the biggest concerns that people have when they're switching from private sector to nonprofit is this huge concern around getting paid significantly less. So can you walk us through how you thought around compensation as you were going through this transition? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think this is the thing that makes most folks really nervous when they're making that switch from private sector to the nonprofit and public sector. I won't sugarcoat it. Like you're not going to make as much in this sector as you might in the private sector, or at least it's not as easy to make as much in the nonprofit and the public sector. That does vary. If you work for a really large, like national or global nonprofit, then there's more funding. So for me, working at Teach for America, like my compensation is really competitive because Teach for America is a national nonprofit. And so to recruit and retain talent, they, they do have to be somewhat competitive. Now, that being said, I graduated making a lot less than most of my peers in the MBA. So I, I can share that my thought process throughout the whole experience was like I shared, I was making a comfortable six figure salary. When I decided to quit my job to get my MBA and make this career switch, I had to ask myself, am I in a place to do this? What are my salary expectations, right? What's my minimum? What is the floor of what I am willing to accept that will allow for me to have the quality of life and the financial stability that I still wanted. And that's a really personal decision. I was really lucky coming in because I was a Pell Grant recipient. I didn't have any undergraduate debt. And then I was able to just save a ton of money. And because of my private sector career and because of a lot of the planning I did going in, I graduated the MBA with very little to no debt. So that was something that allowed for me to say, I'm going to take a pretty, you know, a decently large pay cut because I knew I could sustain my lifestyle after the MBA. But that's not the case for everyone, right? And so if that's not the case, then there are alternatives. So if you can't quit your job and make a big career switch and lose half of your salary or whatever it is, um, then maybe you make a gradual shift, right? Like maybe you start off working like at a big national nonprofit, or maybe you start off working in like corporate social responsibility, or maybe you work um, in like a public sector or a social impact consulting company, right? There are other options that you can explore that maybe will provide you more salary flexibility, but but I, I won't sugarcoat it. If you work in the nonprofit public sector space, starting salaries would be low. And I think what really motivated me was knowing that I would be able to work my way back up, right? No salary is permanent. But you know, I I took probably a 20-25% pay cut when I decided to make that switch. Yeah. And I appreciate you being so candid because I do think people need to go into this transition with eyes wide open and having a very strategic plan in place, understanding the trade-offs. And in your case, recognizing that personally fulfilling work and mission aligned work for you was worth making that that temporary sacrifice. So do you feel like now in your new job, you feel a lot more excited and and more aligned and, and have found what you're looking for? Oh my gosh, absolutely. The first and foremost, like the work I do just has so much meaning. Like I wake up every day and I know exactly why I do the work I do. Secondly, I'm building another skill. Like I I love the work I do now and I love education, but there's nothing that's stopping me from saying, okay, maybe I'll, you know, work for the Chamber of Commerce doing education work or I'll work that I'll make another switch back into private sector doing, you know, lobbying work, right? These are all things that I could do down the road. So I, I don't feel limited at all. I just feel like my career just continues needs to grow and grow. And then I think the last thing I'll I'll really say about all of this is your time just feels so much fuller. Like before I would try to like rush through my nine to five so that at the end of my workday, I could go and do the things I actually like to do. Now it feels like that's a part of my life. And so when I'm done with work, I feel like I just had a really productive day and I don't feel like, okay, now I have to go and do the things I actually wanted to do today. And that is something that I think is just so fulfilling and it just opens you up to so many more opportunities. And so because of that, I'm, 
I'm so much more engaged in the city and in my community in such a different way now because this new lifestyle has allowed for me to have that time and capacity to do it. Well, Lily, thank you so much for being with us today. I feel like this conversation is super inspiring for anyone who's looking to try to make this leap. I love the faith in yourself that you have shown through this whole process. And thank you for being an example of that. This has been so fun. Thank you for what you're doing and, and keep it up. Thanks for tuning into the Early Career Moves podcast. Be sure to visit ecmpodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and become a part of our newsletter community. And if you love this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Talk to you next week.